0: If Reality Check Radio enriches your day and life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio
1: forward slash donate. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio. Mike Benz is a former State Department official with responsibilities in formulating and negotiating U.S. foreign policy on international communications and information technology matters. He founded the Foundation for Freedom Online as a civil society institution, building on its experience in the role of championing digital freedom around the world in the public sector. We had Mike on the program in mid-October, and there we were sort of discussing the broad disinformation industry industry as we've come to realize that it is an industry. And I want to welcome Mike back to the program to talk about something, well, in that bigger picture, but more related to us. So, Mike, thanks for coming back on uh, RCR. Good to see you.
0: Thanks for for having me. I know we're going to be exploring a dark topic today, but uh, hopefully we can try to shed some light.
1: (laughs) Okay, so we forwarded you, and we talked about this uh, with uh, another one of our contributors, Catherine Ennis-Carter. Uh, last week, and that was the strengthening New Zealand's resilience to misinformation briefing, which has come to light through an official information request. So we thought we might forward that to you and see if you if you've seen it before. <laughs> let's say, what did you make of it?
0: Um, I'm I'm still processing it because you know. This is so close to the mark of what we've seen in terms of the structure of censorship organization in the US, in the UK, and in several other jurisdictions. And it so closely mirrors the the military intelligence structure for censoring the internet that started around in 2015. And I'll go through the history of some of this as, as we get into the details. but um, it, Radio folks might not not be able to see my face, but there's a little bit of a a shock right here because I'm concerned after reading this that this goes far, far, far beyond New Zealand. If if they're doing it all the way in New Zealand from an American perspective, um, this this very likely was the same sort of cell structure set up in basically every country. And, And when you look at some of the connections uh around some of these people you know i i saw that kate Hanna, for example came out of this state department program yeah um that's very very red flag to me that uh that you had a a coordinated global effort to create national cells and i'll get i can get into the history of this when we go into the in the facts but my my first blush is uh yeah this is this is actually this is huge
1: so this is part of it's a well worn out word now lockstep there's a lockstep to this though with local nuances obviously reference to, to local events that we've had here but the structure so is this military is this military grade kind of structure around this
0: yeah well well it is and i'll tell you why I say that so um you know the origin of the censorship industry you know I sort of talk about it state side, if you will, as being about the 2016 election because that's really when it when it hit the U.S presidential election of Trump upended a lot of Apple carts here. A lot of power structures were threatened by that. And then five months before that there was there was the Brexit referendum, which was very much went, went the opposite way from what the U.S State Department and Pentagon and NATO folks wanted. And a little bit before that, you had the Philippines election in 2016, which went the opposite way from the State Department. And all of these were Internet elections or referendums, if you will. There was no support um, uh, with, with U.S. homegrown media um, on the broadcast side or on the print newspaper side for Donald Trump in the U.S. Uh, for um, for Brexit in the U.K. for the most part. And then also in the Philippines, you know, the Philippines basically doesn't even really have its own Internet. It basically runs on Facebook and WhatsApp. And when all three of these these electoral events in the same year went the opposite way from what the State Department and the intelligence services and the military industrial complex wanted because of a free and open Internet, because you had 10 years of of social media maturation, where over time, these voices got to be approximately the size of newspapers. I mean, you really did have individuals uh, you know Alex Jones, for example, just got reinstated in the U.S. Here, I'm not making an opinion on on you know his content, right, wrong, crazy, whatever. But the fact is, is he did have more views on YouTube in 2016 than all of CNN, which is sort of you know until the past several years was sort of the most marquee sort of centrist. It was deemed uh, broadcast news station in America, so one person could get bigger than an entire. Uh, uh, broadcast news network. And when that started to tilt elections, it sent uh, our power structures in, into a panic. But it really goes back a little bit before that. It really goes back to 2014, uh, where the military began to move into the media. And this was with the events in Ukraine. See, in, in 2014, it, we had had this, the State Department had had this long-range plan to bring Ukraine, in, which was sort of the crown jewel of the Soviet empire during the uh, during the Cold War, to bring Ukraine into NATO, to bring Ukraine into the EU, into the commercial and financial markets, uh, to be able to harvest all the shale in Eastern Ukraine, to be able to you know take the, the wheat crops, to be able to control primarily the gas pipelines that Ukraine uh, Ukraine sat on because they are the through point uh, from Central Asian uh, gas into into Europe. So all of Europe was reliant on. It. So it was all about Ukraine. This. This play had been maturing for about 23 years when the state department orchestrated a coup in ukraine i don't think that's a controversial thing to say if anyone's being honest victoria newland the head of our embassy there was uh was handing out cookies and water bottles to the uh to the protesters who had received five billion dollars from the u.s uh, national endowment for democracy Aid, and state department we call it civil society capacity building but basically we just funded a paramilitary army there to run a democratically elected president out of office. Yanukovych was elected by the Ukrainian people, and the U.S. embassy there led a coup to throw him out of office. The, those are just the plain facts. But they, the State Department, was not anticipating the response, which was you had these, you had Crimea break away and voluntarily vote in, in their own referendum to annex themselves as part of the Russian Federation. And then you had the the two provinces, Luhansk and Donetsk, Donetsk, break away from from Kiev and declare themselves independent from from the U.S. embassy's rule. Now, when when that happened, when the counter coup happened after the coup in 2014, this set off a crisis within U.S. military intelligence. We said, oh, my God, the nature of war is fundamentally changed. Because remember, NATO was formed in 1949. It didn't fire a single bullet, not a single bullet until 1995, when it bombed Yugoslavia in an offensive action. So there was not a hot war in Europe uh, for the entirety of NATO's existence. You have to sort of forget what happened in 2022 here, because at the time, in 2014, when this counter coup happened, they said, oh my God, the nature of war, is now fundamentally different. it's not about tanks it's about tweets and NATO even declared this doctrine from tanks to <laughs> yeah. tweets yeah. and the, and this whole thing called hybrid warfare, which is the idea that we can no longer think about uh, about media as being divorced from military and they basically inverted this presupposition that civilians should be able to control their own media. other this, this has always been the case. information has always been a domain of war since Sun Tzu and you know and, and long before. But there was the the collision course between the fundamental precept of democracy, you know, consent by rule of, you know, governance by rule of the governed, Um, it it was completely inverted when you had military control over media. So, what happened is, is after 2014, sorry, I'll try to bring this home, but after 2014, uh, you had all of these cells set up. You know, they created something called the Integrity Initiative which was, I think, in 12 different NATO countries, they had these cluster cells set up to control disinformation online. Uh, the UK, This was funded by the UK Foreign Office and the, basically the political affairs branch of NATO. It was a clandestine operation. We only found out about it because of anonymous leaks of all their files online when they got hacked. Uh, but these, these documents were absolutely devastating, and a lot of the, the bad actors from it are still in charge of information and perception management today. But you had an actual cluster cell structure. Uh, and, and in their own documents, they talked about how it has to span academia, journalism, media personalities, cultural figures, military leaders, financial regulators to create this whole of society
1: web. Yeah, that's what so they call it, when- isn't it? Whole of society. That's it's in term. that document.
0: Yes, in the document. Whole of society, whole of government, where whole of government gets folded under whole society. But that comprises four categories of institutions, government institutions, private sector institutions, civil society institutions, meaning universities, NGOs, nonprofits, profits, activists, community leaders, uh, and then news media and fact-checking boards. And together, these four quadrants would 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 be fused into basically the nucleus of a single cell so that if So they could all lend their own special set of skills, their own resources to coordinate the takedown of any emerging narrative that threatened an important initiative from the government. And, you know, I studied those integrity initiative documents um, very intensely in 2018 and 2019 when they broke because they were totally shocking. You had I mean, these were names of, of real people uh, who you know many of them were obscure but many of them were very prominent Ann Applebaum for example was one of the leaders of the UK intercluster cell she's she's not only a staff writer you know the 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 top staff writer at the Atlantic which is probably the most well-read foreign policy magazine in the United States but she's also a board member of the National Endowment for democracy which our own Washington Post conceded was a CIA cutout uh going back to the 1980s when it was when it was started as a because at the time the CIA's name was dirt Coming out of the Church Committee hearings, and so the, the National Endowment for Democracy was created to be a cutout to to do what the CIA used to do, uh, but but through uh, through overt government grants rather than through clandestine money laundered funds through Cayman Islands banks. And when I when I look at the st- structure of this disinformation project, it is so shockingly similar to the Integrity Initiative that I have to wonder. You know, no offense, I love New Zealand, but New Zealand is a very small. Nation, yep. uh, if if it's all the way down to New Zealand, where has this not, where was this not
1: put in place during COVID? Well, there's the five eyes group, right? So that's an obvious cluster there. The interesting thing is though that everyone buys into to it. You'd think there would be national interests and cultural differences that would well be skeptical at first, uh, but this is an all in we're all in um, who do you think drives this where where does the power of this come from is it from the United States because we're talking as if it's our thing even though we know it's a lockstep document we're, we're talking in our words you know there's no reference really that I could see anyway I didn't read because a lot of pages you know not m- much reference to any overseas jurisdictions it's all about here but yet it it's so lockstep so someone's telling someone what to do, surely.
0: Yeah, well, you know, there's a transatlantic consensus. I mean, you know, I would say it's it's U.S., U.K., Brussels. You know, some something that I saw, and, and, and there's a consensus-building process for this. You know, I don't know that I would say it's, you know, one particular country or one particular, you know, obviously the U.S. has an enormous power over the other, you know, Five Eyes uh, folks, and so, so does the U.K., frankly. I mean, but they bring different, different things to bear. I mean, the UK is the banking center of the universe. And, uh, and you know, the the U.S. is obviously military and obviously has our own financial. But there's, you know, I've watched so many of these consensus building meetings where you have, you know, the the American and the British diplomats in the room, and they're sort of talking about the challenges presented and how to structure things. And, you know, and, it, and it is an iterative process that often takes months or even years to come to a you know, a, a well-oiled consensus about. I sometimes joke that that's what they think democracy is. Democracy is them all getting in a room, deciding what to do. And when the people decide to vote against that, that's now an attack on democracy, because democracy is their consensus, not not the larger one. But, um, but you know, part of, for, for this particular thing, you know, I think part of it goes back to something we still don't know, which is what the hell what the hell was actually was covid in in retrospect yeah
1: we still don't really know do we really
0: right i mean you know you have all these very strange data points around the military and intelligence worlds that are unresolved as i see it you know you have these strange things like event 201 which was that simulation i don't know if you're familiar
1: yeah familiar with it yeah. yeah
0: johns hopkins university um you know top medical school basically in the in the country uh, but it was their it was their biosecurity wing and it was the the World Economic Forum and the Bill Gates Foundation. And, you, and they had a simulation on, in segment four on how to censor social media in the event of a coronavirus outbreak that, lo and behold, would strike less than eight weeks later. Uh, and who was in attendance there? It was, well, it was Avril Haines, who was the deputy director of the Central Intelligence Agency and who now, is the director of national intelligence she's she's the cia's boss what was she doing in a censorship planning meeting uh, less than 2 months before the outbreak of covid-19 coronavirus 19 about the outbreak of a china-based coronavirus what the heck was the wuhan lab doing getting a 53 million dollar gain of function grant to create bat-borne you know or these these bat-based coronaviruses uh this just a year before covid hit when us aid is is one of the most well known cia conduits uh for for for, for covert cia funding in, in american history why were our own intelligence agencies juicing this up why were they involved in covering it up you know even our own administration of it uh, our operation warp speed here was only 35% of it was actually administered by our own health agencies 65% of it was administered by our department of defense and, and just, I'm sorry, just one more thing on this, so I can put the button yeah. on it. But you know who was the first to censor censor these groups, um, censor the internet uh, for COVID nineteen? They were military funded organizations. There's a group called Graphica, which which was born out of the U.S. Uh, Minerva Initiative. The Minerva Initiative is our Psychological Warfare Research Center within the Pentagon. It's a partnership between between the Pentagon and academia for social scientists to cook up psychological manipulation methods for the military to use for counterinsurgency work and regime change operations. Now, one of the Minerva Initiative graduates is this for-profit company called Graphica, which has received between 7 and $13 million of, of Pentagon grants uh, in, in, the, in the years running up to COVID-19. They previously helped the Pentagon, you know, basically uh, social media map ISIS groups and and terrorist groups and conflict zones, when COVID hit, they began uh, uh, creating these vast topographical networks of social media influencers in the U.S. and around the world, mapping them by political affiliation, by by influence, and particularly with reference to to, uh, rumors circulating about COVID origins and anything that might delegitimize uh, public health government officials like Tony Fauci. They started this operation in January 2020 in partnership with NATO's uh, uh, Center for Center of Excellence, which is which is which is the hybrid warfare cell they created after the 2014 Ukraine coup. It was the first hybrid warfare cell. What the heck was the military's psyops division doing? Partnered with a military-funded uh, psychological operations unit to censor COVID discourse. Before it was even called COVID nineteen, it was just called the coronavirus. Was less than a month before the outbreak even uh, even it happened. Well, how was the military so fast to censor, and why were they funding all of the all of the the main culprits in the affair? You know, to what end? I don't know. But you know, what, to see these same structures here in New Zealand, it's quite chilling.
1: Well, the the thing about um, this document that we're talking about from here is that that is out, produced by the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, which is the top office in the political structure of the country. That is the Prime Minister's office. They are the boss of that office. All that work's been done in there. It's all been funded in there. And what they say in there, the way it's worded, is that there's nothing about any benefit for citizens. It's It seems to be, reading between the lines, an instruction manual of how to hide things that you are are doing and every talk of mis and disinformation is to minimize their exposure to any questioning or or understanding of a bigger picture or whatever and also it's mentioned in there you might have noticed the um the mosque massacre and there was a royal commission of inquiry into that uh, and i guess they intimate in that document that uh, misinformation led to a terrorist attack that led to 52 people being killed but that's not the case. This was a very isolated incident. Wasn't even a New Zealand citizen. Somehow was allowed to get a gun license and no one noticed that, you know, he was nothing off at gun clubs and things like that. So, yeah, and that seems to be one of the cornerstone um, references to what misinformation can result in if it's not managed or, or, or policed. Yet the whole thing is pretty shaky to begin with. So there's that as well. So I guess you could say if you wanted to tinfoil hat is, you know, that was a very convenient thing to have happen at that particular time, because you can then plausibly justify the policing and, and, um, control of information because see what can happen, you know?
0: Well, it's interesting you bring that up because that boomerang back with, for us as well, there's so, what came out of the the Christchurch shooting was something called the Christchurch Call, yeah. which was this global consortium of agreements to censor certain kinds of content online, and to do it in a way that was different than the way censorship had worked before. See, so my, my foundation, Foundation for Freedom Online, actually re- recorded a, a call between uh, Stanford Internet Observatory. Uh, censorship uh, researchers—they call themselves—but they're censorship operatives. These are political operatives. The top, the top, uh, head of research there formerly worked for the Central Intelligence Agency. Uh, it's and and it's run by the former U.S. ambassador. Uh, to Russia under under uh, under Obama and the ambassador coordinates both the overt and covert combat you know the the State Department and the CIA side of diplomacy for Russia the number one adversary state so you know this is this is a this is a cabal of you know apex predators so to speak who, who run this but they're in charge of they're they're in charge of censorship response at least they were for 2020 election matters they teamed up with our own government they got 22 million tweets censored there's a whole thing there and they also censored COVID. they created this thing called the virality project but what's really interesting is do you recall there was a documentary called plandemic that came out i want to say like midway through the 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 pandemic you know, I, I'm not attesting to the veracity of what was in there, but rings does that sound bell. familiar?
1: Yeah, it rings a bell, yeah. I think of you. It
0: basically made the argument that the pandemic was planned. And, you know, it was this relatively, you know, whatever the merits of the argument were for this documentary, um, it was it was a high production value thing. You know, it was clearly a lot, of, a lot of money had gone into it for an indie film. You know, it was slickly produced. It had a very compelling trailer. And there was a lot of... Type for it it was the first real you know well produced you know ready for streaming on netflix type um type documentary about you know what a son of a gun tony fauci was and and how you know perhaps the vaccines were not as effective as advertised and perhaps the mask mandates were unnecessary or in fact might backfire or any you know mandates were coming yada yada and uh, a number of outlets in the U.S. wanted to air this documentary, the Sinclair Network. There were a bunch of these sort of media outlets that wanted wanted to air it, but they were threatened to have their broadcast licensing revoked, so they wouldn't. They'd basically lose their TV license if they aired this thing. So then it became a social media phenomenon, and from there, um, there was a the question by the censorship industry: How do we contain this thing? Now, you know, they had been doing a sort of whack-a-mole method, where you know anyone who Post the account, you know, it might be flagged or it might be identified, and then it has to go to manual sensors to censor each instance one at a time. But the Stanford Internet Observatory, who, again, is, is run by CIA folks, it, uh, they had this panic meeting the the week that it came out, and they, they all jumped on a Zoom call, and I have it archived. And they said, well, you know what we might need, we might need to roll out the Christchurch uh, uh, method for this. And what they meant by that was, you see, there's this thing called the I'm gonna forget the acronym, it's like G I F T C. It's like the global internet global forum for internet terrorism coalition or something. There was basically a method that was developed to be able to censor all instances of any image or video from the web. By uh, by putting it in this counterterrorism database, wow. it, that that basically, it, I think the technique is called near duplicate hashing. Where basically any instance of that video, and it analyzes all the pixels, it analyzes the sound, it even sort of variation tests it. So you can't just put something at eighty percent speed, or you know, or crop it to avoid it. There's basically no escape from this this scraping method, and anything that. Touches that touches anything in that database, that terrorism database, gets automatically taken down from the platforms. The, the platforms all signed on to this global forum for internet terrorism sort of thing. So any their code automatically matches that. That's how the Christchurch video, by the way, you know, died so quickly. I'm not obviously you know advocating anybody watch that or possess it. I I, I believe it was actually a criminal offense to possess. That video, yeah. you know, at least in Australia. And I don't know if it was in New Zealand.
1: I think, it, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Right. And of course, you know, every, everyone's going to have their own laws on that sort of thing. I'm not opining on that. But there was a method for mass censorship of that video because you, that was censored at point of upload, not once yeah, you, you couldn't, couldn't get it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: If yeah. you tried you to upload out. that
0: to Facebook, it wouldn't even go up for a second and then come down. Well, they were doing, doing that with that. Hunter
1: Biden images too, by the way, as well. Just say. So. That's very
0: interesting. Um, I uh, I didn't know that it, it was at that point. Now, now I don't know if that was matched to the you know to that internet that that uh, international terrorism database, but it's um, certainly new it one. Yeah, but I wouldn't be surprised necessarily because the FBI actually approached Facebook. We know that uh, because Mark Zuckerberg told Joe Rogan on a live interview that the FBI had knocked on Facebook's door and told them that this russian propaganda laptop was coming yep. so i yep. uh, that, that that i certainly believe that's that's possible but what i'm trying to say is that that christchurch um, you know uh, a, a event led to the sort of normalization of a technique for censorship from which there is no escape if they decide to throw that that switch
1: Okay. The um uh, other thing that um is in that uh, document, and I wonder if it's it's probably the same in in other briefings and other jurisdictions that we've been talking about, is that it's recommended that no one person oversees, or no one department really oversees this um the structure, and that it's sort of distributed out to in the political roles anyway. The, what we call the ministers, you know, the head of um, the various uh, portfolios, let's say, you call them secretaries in the U.S., and they, you know, individually deal with the compartmentalized bit of what they're getting as it applies to their ministry or department. So no one person, and they state in there that this this can make it problematic for them because people can fixate on one, you know, um, identify one leader or one um you know a point, uh, which can then lead to further conspiracies and this and that. So they're really they've really thought it out for themselves on, on how to make this thing, the kind of the the piece parts work as it as it rolls along. You know, right?
0: No, that's that's exactly right. That's sort of the point of the whole of society is that there's no there's no single point of failure and there's no single point of accountability. So that if any one of the arms of the octopus gets cut off you know, it's, it's the, the, the other seven arms are still fully functional. You're, you're you're never, you know, you can't take it down unless you literally go trench warfare institution by institution. First, you take it out of its entanglement with the unions, and then you take it out of its entanglement with the media, and then you take it out of its entanglement with, you know, with the ministers, and then you have to go minister by minister. And, you know, there's, that's, that was part of this whole of government distribution in the US as well you know this started with our department of homeland security which is kind of funny because they actually wanted to park it at the CIA or the state department and when i say they i mean there was this group called the atlanta council which you know had this this vision they're big joe biden backer their 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 nato's think tank they have seven former cia directors on their on their board a lot of people don't even know seven former chiefs of the central intelligence agency are still alive, let alone all centrally concentrated on the board of a single think tank that happens to be the top dog in the censorship industry. But this group came up with a blueprint in, in 2018 that they published about how to create a permanently installed federal censorship bureau within the United States. And they, they first wanted to place it at basically a sort of the, the propaganda wing of the State Department, which is known as the Global Engagement Center. Uh, under the undersecretary of state, which was run by a guy who described himself as the nation's quote propagandist in chief. So they wanted to park the censorship center under the censorship in chief. Um, and then they said, oh, you know what? The State Department is not going to be able to get away with it. It's kind of more like an it, it's foreign. We want to do this domestically. And that's only supposed to be foreign facing. They said, well, you know, this is more like an intelligence role, the sort of thing we do abroad. Could we park this at the CIA? And they decided they wouldn't be able to have the political legitimacy for that. And also that it would be there would be too many moving parts to structure this as a clandestine operation. So they said, okay, could we put it at the FBI? But the FBI is supposed to only kick in here if you have lawbreaking. So they they parked it under this you know our newest domestic intelligence agency, which was created to stop another nine eleven, our Department of Homeland Security. And it combined basically, you know, the the sort of dirty tricks powers of the CIA with the jurisdiction of the FBI. But you know, that, that's it started in that little government cell there within our DHS. But then they decided, you know what? Every federal agency has to play a part in this. We can't have this sort of single point of failure at DHS. We're going to distribute it with a whole of government response. And then the whole society will be folded. You know That will fold into the whole of society. And you see something, you know, it sounds like what you're saying, you know, is very similar with how they structure it in New Zealand. And, you know, even, you know, your former prime minister, I believe now works on disinformation with Harvard University and Correct. was doing conferences with the very Stanford Center, with the CIA folks there. I, I saw a picture of her talking with uh, at, at the Stanford Air Observatory on disinformation issues with Renee DiResta, who's the who came straight from the CIA, as we mentioned.
1: <laughs> it's a small world, Mike. It's a small world. Um, uh, of course, all this time on and and seeing that, I think uh, that was put together what in in early twenty twenty one, late twenty twenty. I have to go back to the document. I've closed it now, but uh, so that was quite a while ago. Here we are now, end of twenty twenty three, and it, it, the the alarming thing is this won't come as a surprise to our listeners or you, is that everything they describe in there they have done. They are the serial masters of their BS, it seems to me. I always say, they're not,
0: you know, they're not disinformation experts. They're disinformation artists.
1: Yeah. So they did everything that they, everything that they talk about heading off at the pass, closing down, all that, you know, conspiracy theory. They produced a whole bunch of conspiracy theorists at the time that, you know, divided a society. So it's just... It that's a shocker. It really is. No,
0: it is, but you know, they want a they want a, a government monopoly on lies and rumors and uh, and I mean and truth. I mean, the the, the fact is is you know it, it's the job of our intelligence services to to seed rumors and to, you know, spread things in the media. Um, you know, I mean this was
1: this Yeah, but the, the enemy when heart. the enemy is the regular population. And you weaponized the, your power and all your deception on the very people you're there to serve. It's
0: right. Well, this is a new threat to them, and so they're developing the the antibodies to what they see as a virus. You know, before social media, they never had to worry about this because the only way you could get a platform is if is by you know by getting the approval of an entity that was already in bed with them. Yeah, you know, yep. in the U.S. Yep. All of all of mainstream media in the US before social media, all of it grew out of our office of war information during World War II. They were all rolled up in the World War II effort. We only had three broadcast news stations, ABC, NBC, and CBS coming out of uh, you know from, from the entirety of the Cold War. All of these were were created by veterans of of the Pentagon. They all had, you know, as the article mentions, you know Operation Mockingbird, and you know, they all had back doors. To the CIA and the State Department and and the and the Pentagon, there was there was no there was some dissent allowed to the extent that there was internal debates within the, those government agencies, and those would often play out in the news. But anything that was considered radical, truly radical, simply wouldn't be allowed on air. And they even used various licensing structures uh, to to you know to make sure that that would that would happen. But social media changed all that. And for the first decade of social media, it was what dis- what free thought there was that was allowed or that expressed itself didn't really even meant it never rose to the level of tilting an election yeah, in favor yeah. of, of YouTubers or whatnot. Because, you know, it took a long time to be able to have a, a, a mature ecosystem. But now we're here and we're now witnessing sort of, you know, the uh, the empire strikes back uh, on, on the free speech issue.
1: Okay, so um, with what we can see there, what you know uh, now and and seeing what has developed recently with uh, Elon Musk and Twitter, Alex Jones going back. There seems to be, you know, the the tides coming back in or or it's going out, depending on how you see it. Um, Are we seeing a swing back of the pendulum? And, And if we are, there'll be a harder fight back, won't there? yeah strange? they're
0: absolutely i mean it's it's i think incontestable that the past 12 months have been a string of unprecedented victories that you have to at least cheer up a little bit about even if you know the the, the rattlesnake is coiling you know to uh to bite back but another go yeah but you know the fact is is um you know, all of this looked completely unstoppable between 2018 and 2022. I mean it was it was total helplessness at every level, the government level, at the private sector level, even even day-to-day people didn't really were too afraid to challenge um uh, were, we're we're too afraid to to challenge many of these things. I, I you know the Elon Musk acquisition I think is obviously a, a game changer. I mean yeah. this is tweet it, it, it's there are three major social media platforms you know facebook youtube and twitter and you know facebook is is mostly for personal things and uh, you know and, and events and you know sort of community stuff and it but it, you, you don't have that one facebook post goes out to the entire world and you know gets 200 million views like for example the um, you know the the uh, the tucker carlson premiere did you yeah. know i mean even broadcast news itself only gets, Tucker Carlson's show would only get something like 4 million people. It's incredible. You know, his, yeah. And his debut got because it's going global. It's not just, you know, whoever's got a, a cable box in their house. Um, but, you know, even though Facebook and YouTube are bigger platforms than Twitter, the pace of information is much, much slower. When news breaks, you can't, you, you, you will have a hundred thousand tweets about it in, in less than a hundred minutes you're not going to have a hundred thousand YouTube videos about it, no. and, on, and on Facebook, people don't want to show that political side. There's not even the the distribution system in place for that, and so it, it really is the the, the place, the, the political battleground, um, and the, the thought leadership battleground more than any other platform. Uh, even though it's the smallest in terms of you know, I think Instagram is something like two billion, and Instagram and Facebook, are, you know, two billion or whatever, and uh, you know uh YouTube's a little bit different, obviously because of creators versus versus consumers yeah but um but Elon Musk's acquisition, especially paired with his vision, you know of long form video didn't exist on on Twitter before Elon Musk bought it. I mean, try to remember that there there was a cap on on any videos on Twitter of two minutes and twenty seconds That's you right. know, to reflect the character count. You yeah. couldn't have whole episodes, you know what what musk has created is actually an alternative broadcast news platform yeah, yeah totally. um which you, you know so um you know there's a lot of theories about why tucker carlson who was our, our lo- the, the most popular uh, cable news host in, in in american history he had the biggest show by far almost twice as much as anybody else on primetime. and he got fired at the, at the peak of his power mm-hmm. you know there's mm-hmm. a lot of questions about why that is was it about sort of questions about the this lawsuit fox was under or was it because of is criticism of Pfizer and and uh, and COVID things, but you know there is now an, an a whole network emerging under the Musk Empire, and what's really curious about it is because the U.S. government is so dependent on U.S. on on Elon Musk for his other properties, they are on the horns of a dilemma in terms of how best to rein him in. Um, I worked at the State Department in in the in the information technology sphere and. You know we depended very heavily on SpaceX for for telecom, uh, you know, for Starlink, uh, for you know it's basically the upstream hardware. I think something like, you know, between one and two thirds of all low Earth satellites on Earth are are SpaceX satellites, wow. and, and that's you, the State Department and CIA doesn't even kick in until you have hardware to attach it to. So, you know, so they're they're dependent on Musk that way. They're de- they're dependent on Musk for commercial leadership of the Green Revolution through Tesla you know there's um, you can make the argument that the US State Department overthrew the government of Bolivia in, in a lithium coup because we we needed lithium, lithium you know for cars. for Tesla batteries right you know there's a funny episode a few years ago over that but because now the alternative, There's a couple alternatives you know they could just nationalize if they want we have something called sipius which is a law that allows us to basically say you're a national security threat we the u.s government now own your company but if you do that to elon musk the richest guy in the world i mean the shock waves that would send through the investor sphere through london and wall street i mean that would first of all we're, we're in a we're in a dog you know we're in a dog fight right now with china in terms of where international capital skates towards their whole value prop has been, well, you know what, if you invest here in the U.S., we're not just going to go authoritarian on you and seize, nationalize your things. Well, if they do that to Elon Musk because of, of free speech on X, then that's sort of game over for that. So, you know, I think what they're trying to do now is they're trying to do death by a thousand paper cuts by having the Joe Biden executive branch target all of his properties from different angles. You know, we have our we have seven different regulators who've now gone after Elon Musk companies and have cost him hundreds of millions of dollars between legal fees and fines on on you know they they find him for not hiring illegal immigrants. Yeah. Our own that. Justice Department. I mean it's yeah. you know they find him for like a glass house that had like an open you know it's uh, they're they're finding anything they can to destabilize, but so now it's sort of a corporate regime change operation they're after.
1: Yeah, so this this is a very significant development then him being allowed just to just to, to take that over um, interested me at the time, but uh, I'm sure there's a reason why that wasn't stopped. I suppose just for the reasons you just gave, you you can't step in like that and prevent someone.
0: Well, I, and I think that they also were expecting him to play ball and, you know, who knows still, my, he's been incredible so far, but you never know what happens with, when the pressure turns up, you know, elon did agree to various things at least in the beginning that that they wanted you know he, he made this declaration about you know freedom of speech but not freedom of reach you know he uh, he hired as a ceo somebody who was the head of yeah. you know <laughs> three months after saying that the world economic forum is an unelected puppet government that should be disbanded he picks the his chief executive officer directly from their ranks you know, there were a lot of things that that have been done to try to compromise where possible, um, but you know, part of it is they don't anymore have a crisis excuse like they did, for example, after January sixth here in the U.S., which is this big yeah. event here, or during the COVID nineteen thing, or even during a hot button, you know, a, a, a presidential election. We will discover in the next year as they continue trying to put the screws, you know. Um, we, a lot of this will make itself more clear. I think they were taken – they thought – because, every look, everybody, every tech CEO has tried to declare their independence from the blob. I mean, I, I, t- I tell a story about how Mark Zuckerberg in 2019 made this bold speech in San Jose about how censorship had gone too far, and the, swen- and the, and the, the pendulum had swung far enough. And uh, then three weeks later, um, this – ad boycott campaign called change the terms cost him 60 billion dollars in ad revenue he said okay 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 we'll change the yeah. terms okay all right you got me yeah. so yeah. you know everyone you know was the mike tyson quote you know everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face yeah. i think they were expecting when they punched elon musk in the face he would say okay instead of you know go f yourself
1: well that's perhaps why his father's a bit worried about his safety yeah you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, hey, uh, Mike. It's been fascinating having you back on RCR. Thanks for giving your view on our little bit of this, as uh, represented by that uh, that OIA document of uh, over a couple of years ago now. Thanks for coming back on. Have a great uh, Christmas, New Year, and hopefully we can chat again in twenty twenty four.
0: Great. Well, thanks for sending this to me. It's uh, you know I learned by reading it too. So have a blessed one and happy holidays.
1: RCR with Paul Brennan,
0: Reality Check Radio. Loving what you're hearing. Well, the establishment hates it. And right now, they're conjuring up new ways to try and censor RCR. To ensure you never miss a beat of the hard-hitting news you've come to know and love, make sure you're on the RCR mailing list. Get connected now at realitycheck.radio forward email.